Hello, and welcome to the Hammer and Tulip podcast with me, Graham Phillips, and Mr. Gareth Dix, your hosts. Hello, Gareth. Hey, how you doing? Doing really well, thank you. Uh, tonight uh, on the podcast, we're very excited to be beginning a fresh series, a fresh mini-series, looking at the subject of revival. Revival. We want to take a fresh look at this incredible topic because we feel personally like, I guess, just just burdened to see a revival, to see a move of God in our nation in this hour. So we felt to give over a few episodes really on the back of the last few sessions we've been having at Hammer and Tulip, talking about the gospel talking about the times we're living in, the rise of the spirit of Antichrist. We felt that, you know, it'd be, it'd be really important and very um, timely to open up this subject of revival, um, the, the subject of God moving in his church in a mighty way that, that really does impact whole communities, whole cities, and even nations for the gospel. So we want to give over some time to really explore this subject of revival. What is revival? What is revival not? <laughs> and how has God moved in both scripture and in church history in revival? So we want to try and bring some clarity around this subject. We hope to do that. We also hope to generate hunger in you, our beloved listeners, for revival. We don't want this to just be dry sermonizing god willing but we really want to spur people on to just get after god and press in to see him move uh, in your churches and and your communities and so that's what we're hoping to do it might take a couple maybe three sessions to work through depending on how much we get done in this first session but really we're just going to be kind of talking broad brush strokes in this first one our aim really is to try and kind of just talk about what is a revival like what is it because you hear so many definitions there's many many books you you could line a whole library full of books on revival right and not read the same definition twice and so we want to try and bring some clarity in that whole massive ocean worth of resource on revival. What is it to have a revival? So that's what we're hoping to do tonight, uh, is pin down what a revival is and then define what a revival is not. Um, and <laughs> lots of other things in between as well, I think that we'll find. So that's our aim uh, in this episode. And um, I'm pretty sure that if you've been around in the UK church for any time at all, revival is a word you've heard um, over and over again, especially, I would say, if you're in the evangelical tradition, if you're in the charismatic church, revival is a word that is thrown around uh, very often. And um, I think it's it's kind of a, something we're familiar with, but maybe we've not really kind of studied that through, like we haven't really based our understanding of revival biblically like grounded it so that's our hope really is to try and do that i think it's very important to do that um, at this time and i think also just to get a hunger for a true move of god in these times as we talked about you know we're living we believe in these last days in the last hours really uh, before we do see christ's return and so 
Our hope really is to see a great inflowing of souls into the kingdom of God before the Lord returns. I think that's every Christian's hope. And so we're hoping tonight maybe to just spark some hunger, to whet the appetite, to see a fresh move of God. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you, Gareth, to bear the load. Um, <laughs> when, talking yeah, about, when talking about revival, um, there are so many different kind of views out there, aren't there? And it's a very pervasive kind of well, not pervasive. It's a very common word to hear, isn't it, yeah. in church? Um, do you think that maybe Christians have kind of lost a sense of what revival means because they've become so familiar with the word? Does that make sense? Yeah, I think so. Like I mean, if you I, say the word trousers over and over and yeah. over again, it ends up sounding like nonsense, doesn't it? <laughs> What's that word? What does that mean? Yeah. I think maybe it's kind of similar with this word revival. Do you think so? Yeah, I would agree, definitely. And I think, for example, like before we kind of look at actually trying to define at least loosely what revival is, you'll kind of hear people talking about, oh, revival came to our church. Um, but really what they meant was there was a good atmosphere um there's a good vibe in there there were lots of young people i mean that's great to see like you know several hundred people and mm. lots of teenagers and young adults with their hands up in the air worshiping singing the hearts i mean what pastor wouldn't be really encouraged to see that you know that's that's an uplifting thing to see but i think people will see something that looks positive they'll see good church attendances and a good atmosphere and and a perceived hunger for god in the room and i've seen that and it's very encouraging and i think they'd probably say that's revival or they might say that just a, kind of like a, a midweek worship event kind of where there's an encounter of god that there's that's revival yeah um i mean i think for example like if you asked anyone what revival is i mean they might be very vague in their answer because it's not particularly easy one to to, to to define as we're gonna as we're gonna explore more but i think let's just say if you if you asked a different christian what what revival is you're gonna get quite a different answer depending on what denomination or church they go to so let's just say you asked a charismatic what is revival i would imagine that their response is going to be something like a powerful encounter with the presence of God and particularly in worship. And I'll say, okay, but what about if we ask the conservative evangelical what revival is? I think their answer is going to be more about a return to the word of God, to, to uh, emphasis on holiness and gospel-centered preaching again, um, which again, would, I, I'd agree with. And then if you go and ask an evangelist who spends a lot of time going out on mission, preaching the gospel uh, and, and, you know, sometimes seeing a lot of people come to faith other times seeing you know a bit of hostility or quite a lot of hostility particularly if you're a street preacher and you ask an evangelist what's revival they'll probably say well it's a conversion of many souls many people coming to faith many people coming to faith in christ and joining the church and so there's three very different definitions of what revival is and I think they all are correct. So I'd say, yeah, that they're all right. And but it's almost like they see they all see a different part of yeah. of it. Whereas I would say that revival goes much deeper. It's a move of the Spirit of God that brings about a deep uh, and lasting repentance in the hearts and souls of man. Or, or I might put it another way, and hopefully not slightly crass, but it's a bit like you know that that sort of older middle aged couple who've just kind of been married for ages and just fallen out of love a bit. 
and it's that kind of that passion that 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 romance that that that, that they had when they were in their you know late teens early 20s whatever that was so powerful and, and amazing that's kind of burnt out and there's kind of a sense of they're just sort of almost cohabiting and it's that sense of you want that marriage to be really kind of caught on fire again and you see what i mean it's a kind of a it's a it's a heart thing it, and it and i think with revival it's something that only the holy spirit can bring about that zeal and that fervor and passion in the hearts of of men and women and, and I, so for me really it's yes all of those three definitions are correct but this is this is something really deep and powerful and profound that only God can do it in the hearts mm. of many people and and this comes about I believe by by a lot of prayer and I think I heard someone recently say that you know revival is really uh, for when people want revival and they're devoted in prayer and like we look about how how much prayer is lacking in the modern church look at how sparsely attended prayer meetings are and yet I think the Bible's clear that it's actually that and history shows us that that committed prayer is what brings that about. Yeah, yeah. I think um I, I totally agree. I think we're all likely to see revival from our kind of viewing point because what we're trying to do yeah. is we're trying to like you said this earlier before we started recording, but you said um, you know, we're all trying to kind of describe something that's of God, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's always gonna be a little bit kind of hard to do. Like it's always a yeah. bit like trying to grasp smoke, you know, what is this? And we've all got our kind of viewing position. So like you said, in various traditions, we're going to see it kind of slightly differently in the sense that certain parts of it are emphasized more to us because of our concerns, you know. Um, but uh, I still think it's really important to, to try um, and define like we have. And yeah. I, I think you're right. It's a special moving of the spirit. Um, and I think, you do always see these characteristics. You do always see, and when you look back in history, we'll talk about some of these historical revivals in in the coming weeks, but you do see common themes and you do see prayer as being a very kind of strong theme in all of these revivals, a movement of prayer. You see other themes as well. You see worship, passionate, sold-out worship um, being a real theme. You see radical encounters with God as being a really strong theme where people are just overcome by the power and the, the real imminence of God. You know, people, you know, in the preaching of uh, George Whitfield, falling out of trees, shaking under the power of God. So this is another common theme. And I think the danger is in our common way of thinking where we are so, as we've said before on this podcast, so influenced by pragmatism, um, which is this idea that uh, the ends justify the means, right? So we want a revival, okay? So we look at the history of the church and we say, what are the components of revival? Well, it's prayer. It's people shaking and falling down. It's uh, radical encounters with God. So what we need is to get those things in our church and boom, we'll have a revival. Now that's, for me, is a, is a dangerous way to think. That's a, that's a pragmatic way to view revival, to think that we just need to get the conditions right. And so what we try and do is curate those things. You know, we, we, um, we play 
super emotional music. We put smoke machines on. We put the glory haze in the auditorium to make it look all kind of like, you know, whoa, the Shekinah glory. We, you know, we emphasize emotional displays of worship. So we have those who are manifesting um, under the power of the spirit. We put them in the front row so that everyone can see them and then hopefully begin to mimic the behavior and so we're, we're hoping that by doing all of this, what's going to happen is revival. And so often in churches that are doing this, what actually happens is not revival, but is burnout. Uh, people are just tired. <laughs> and God, yeah. God isn't blessing that. God's not moving, really. What you've got is a show. And um, so I think we've got to be, be careful, to, like Gareth has said, to, to understand and define right, revival firstly as a, special moving of the spirit i think ian murray in his book revival and revivalism uh, is a really interesting book but he says revival consists in a larger giving of god's spirit for the making known of christ's glory which i think again is very similar to what you've said gareth is it um whether you'd agree with the way he puts it or not but the larger giving of god's spirit um for the purpose of making known christ's glory um there's a lot to that but i think it's it's starting with god it's starting with god and not with man i i remember sorry to keep waffling but just to nail down this point i remember a story of uh there was a, a move of god happening in cumbran back in about 2013 2014 somewhere around there a guy called richard taylor um, he's now a, last I heard, I think he was working in the European Parliament or something like that. So he went into politics in the end. But at the time, he was a pastor in place in Cumbran in Wales. And this church just had an explosion of growth. They would begin to reach people who were alcoholics, who got clean. Uh, they were reaching drug addicts. They were pe reaching people that just come out of jail. These people coming to Christ, whole families. And so news spread quickly and people started going down and two pastors that i know went down to visit and they were queuing to get into the venue and as they were queuing they overheard lots of conversation in the queue lots of other pastors saying oh isn't it wonderful this this wonderful sovereign move of god and this pastor that i knew said no he said they've understood it wrong this isn't a sovereign move of god what this is is a bunch of christians who've just understood certain principles that need to be in place. They've understood yeah. the principles and God couldn't help but bless it because they had the principles down. Now, there's some wisdom in that. There's some truth in that because unless we're praying, we're certainly not going to see a move of God. No. Unless we're witnessing, we're certainly not going to um, you know, witness a move of God. But on the other hand, Unless God shows up, there is no revival. So I think it's no. really key to make that distinction that this revival must start with God, even though prayer is a component. We have to pray. God doesn't do the praying for us. We have to pray. But we still must understand prayer as something that we do under the influence of the Spirit. It's God's Spirit that gives us the urge to pray. Uh, so it's, it's, it's making sure of that, I think, is really important. Um, Revival is not something that we can just make happen, you know, just click our fingers and do. 
uh, which is certainly no, the, definitely that was what was understood at Bethel. Um, you know, uh, that was my understanding of their teaching was was just you do revival, you, you you just do it. You go out on the streets, you pray for people, you prophesy over them, and bam, you've got revival. And and uh, I think what we could say is that certainly you know. <laughs> Those things are present yeah. in revival, but those things don't equal a revival, is all we'd say. That's certainly right. I mean, uh, Lloyd-Jones gives this kind of definition of, he says, it's an experience in the life of the church when the Holy Spirit does an unusual work. He does that work primarily among the members of the church. It's a reviving of the believers. This is something that, that God's doing. And he goes on to say, you cannot revive something that has never had life. So revival by definition is first of all an enlivening and quickening uh, and awakening of lethargic, sleeping, almost moribund church members. And this is, this is very much the power of the Holy Spirit is is coming and doing something this is this from outside it's you know it's in the same way as, as the truth of scripture is from outside of us it's from god so the power of, of revival comes outside of us it comes from god this is why as you say this is why it's so dangerous when we, we start trying to let's make church feel it's like a, a, a almost like a counterfeit revival that let, let you know and i've been guilty of this i'm not even going to try and stand oh, up here snap. on a, a oh, soapbox you know I'm, i've been guilty of this but you know god is gracious and we've seen the error of our ways we want to do it properly like i'm sure many other pastors have gone well actually a, a lot of well-meaning people have, yeah. uh, have gone we we want to see god move let's try and get the conditions right but that's not how it works is it no it's back to front it's the horse you know it's a cart before the horse isn't it yeah, completely. And so I think there is that um, recognizing that this is something that only God can do. And I think as we start to think about the characteristics of what revival looks like and kind of what it is or what it isn't, I think that is the first thing to start with is revival is something that, um, you know, you and I cannot make revival happen. We, we did do a, an episode on Charles Finney and one of the main things with Finney's ministry was that he was looking to as you've already mentioned kind of curate and and produce uh, revival by having all the all the right con, sort of conditions in place uh, yeah. so essentially that's that's really what we're what we're talking about that revival has to be of God in terms of the sense of um, the characteristics of revival I'd say that, that there's a sense of God's nearness and an awareness of his holiness and majesty. That's one of the first things you already mentioned, that kind of desire to almost mimic the uh, Shekinah glory with the smoke machines or whatever, as we've tried to do. But actually, true revival is that, you know, you don't need smoke machines and all that stuff. There's a, there's a you know, like in, in Exodus and, and in 2 Chronicles, the, the cloud of the Lord's presence filling the tabernacle, that there is a, a very strong uh, awareness of the presence of God and sensed in an awesome, in a very awesome way. That's where why people shake. That's why people um, are convicted. And I, I was particularly struck by Nehemiah eight verse nine, where it says, "The people wept as they heard the words of the Lord mm. being read out." Uh, and I think that's really significant as well. That revival is God coming down on mankind with the result that they're humbled there's a great humbling that happens yeah. as, a, as a genuine uh, quite often you wouldn't be unusual I suppose to see weeping and um, people really deeply moved and actually I think while some people can cry and, and it could just be you know fake emotion I know that as a man I don't 
cry as much as I'd like to. Yeah, yeah. You know, some days where I, where I think, I, I think particularly for us men, I think you know, I really want to cry a river right now. I just don't know how to. You know, I don't mm. even know how to cry what's inside of me and yet I think when God unlocks something and, and there's a, a godly weeping I think that is something that is a beautiful thing and a sign of God at work absolutely yeah I remember um, you know I, I say I wouldn't call it a revival but I think probably one of the closest moments I've come to it was as a was I 10 11 years old and that was a Bible week um, and the yeah, the worship leader had just finished worship. They were trying to sort of settle us all down to hear the minister come and talk. And basically, um, I think the group I was in was called Turbo Tens. So rock and roll. Turbo okay, Tens. That is, that is uh, very nice, isn't it? <laughs> but um, we were finishing worship and none of us had, like none of us sort of 10-year-olds had been exposed to kind of falling down under the power of the spirit like i'd never seen that in my little evangelical church and many of the others i'm sure hadn't either but at the end of worship there was just this this power this absolute power that came upon us there's about 500 of us in this room and people just fell over um, people were weeping people were laughing you know, and I've never felt anything like that. Like I couldn't, I'm not the type of person to just be able to switch on emotional no. like you. And so, but I've never laughed and cried. I've never laughed and cried like that in my life. Yeah. And, and in the end, I think it was hours that went by. They had to carry us out of the meeting. They didn't get to get the speaker on. And um, I was just, I, I look back on that. I've never forgotten it. And I believe that, in that moment, it was just, you know, it was almost like God pulled back the veil. Yeah. He pulled back yeah. the veil on his on His power and unlocked stuff in us because we were exposed to him. Uh, it unlocked these these emotions, these things that needed to kind of be dealt with or come out. And um, so, I, I, you know, experientially, I think that's so true. There will be this sense of God's nearness, a sense of his awesomeness of his power you know and uh, so we should we should expect there to be some kind of signs of that in people and not be afraid of it i think sometimes you know <laughs> when you've been exposed to the excesses of that right where yeah. people are trying to fake that you know where they're trying to generate holy laughter like i've seen preachers get on stage and be like right we're just going to manifest joy <laughs> come on laugh <laughs> yeah. we're just going to <laughs> right and they they force it and so you've been exposed to that which is spiritual abuse if i'm if i'm being honest and sometimes you can then push hard against any manifestation like that and that would be wrong that would be wrong yeah because the lord does you know, move in power. And when he does, we can't always explain what's going on. We're not always going to be able to know why we are beginning to weep or, you know, th this, I think there's just got to be an expectation that in revival, these things will happen. You know, uh, you read stories, don't you, about George Whitfield preaching and people falling out of trees under the power yeah. of the Holy Spirit. Um, and people were always offended, always offended when people would manifest, people would laugh, people would weep. Um, in Wales, the same, you know, there were miners that were just weeping, just bawling their eyes out under the power of God. And uh, so I think in a revival, we're to sort of expect that really.
I think, yeah, and I think there's one of the patterns that, that I've picked up on as well as I studied this a bit is the the people weeping and there's a, a sense of the awe of God, but then that leads to joy. So as already mentioned in Nehemiah 8, the people wept as they heard the words of the Lord uh, read out. Um, but Nehemiah says, do not mourn or weep for all the people wept as they heard the words of the Lord. And he, and he says to them, go your way, eat the fats, drink sweet wine and send portions to anyone who is nothing ready for this day is holy to our Lord. And do not be grieved for the joy of the Lord is your strength strength mm. and and so the people went on their way there was a and there was great rejoicing because they under, understood the words that were declared for them we also see in, in acts at, at pentecost everyone was filled with awe they'd, they'd, they'd there's that moment of terror what must we do to be saved as they're yeah. cut to the heart they're filled with awe and there's this joyful fellowship as the believers devote themselves to the apostles teaching and there, I th- there's this pattern of being in awe, being cut to the heart, but then the joy and the blessing that comes having the, met with God. There's also got to be like, like you mentioned it, the cut to the heart. There's this sense of conviction when you yeah. read about revivals in scripture. Like if you look at Josiah, you know, whether you'd call this a, a revival or, I mean, I guess I would, but uh, yeah, I would, you know, yeah. second revival and reformation, second Chronicles 34, um, you know, verse 14, uh, it says, while they were bringing them out the money that had been brought into the house of God, Hilkiah the priest found the book of the law of the Lord given through Moses. Um, and then in verse 19, we've got, and when the king heard the words of the law, he tore his clothes. He, he ripped his clothes. And the king commanded Hilkiah, Ahikam, the son of Shaphan, uh, Abdon, the son of Micah, Shaphan, the secretary, Asahiah, the king's servant saying, go inquire of the Lord for me and for those who are left in Israel and Judah concerning the words of the book that has been found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that is poured out on us because our fathers have not kept the word of the Lord to do according to all that's written in this book. And so there's this sense of kind of a, a moment really of conviction and yeah. shame uh, and a desire to get right with God straight away, you know. So I think that's that's something that I see present in Scripture. Whenever there's a revival, there's a there's the Word of God, um, you know, there as well present. But there's, there's this kind of sense in the people of like, whoa, you know, <laughs> I need to get right yeah. with God. I need to, and that's where the weeping comes in and the, the emotion comes in. So it's like a special working of the Spirit, though, isn't it? Because yes. Um, Josiah's men found the word of God but it wasn't just that they found it uh, it was that they were impacted by it as well Yeah, right and that's key in a revival because when you're not in a move of God when you're not in a revival you can preach the word of God to people and they can respond lukewarmly right they, they can yeah. they, they're not always going to rend their clothes are they um and i think that's a sign of revival is when people's hearts are tender to like hear god's word yeah they're, they're ready to be moved they're like kind of dry grass ready to be burnt you know i think that's that's something definitely that speaks to me of god being involved in revival of god actually being the initiator is that he prepares hearts ready for it um yeah you know uh so yeah i well, certainly i think it's it's very 
interesting you saying that and I'm also just uh, uh, really moved to look at this this quote of Jonathan Edwards uh, describing the revival in Northampton in 1735 and Jonathan Edwards wrote presently upon this a great and earnest concern about the great things of religion and the eternal world became universal in all parts of the town and amongst persons of all de degrees and all ages the engagedness of their hearts, which I think really resonates with what you were saying, the engagedness of their hearts in this great concern could not be hid. It appeared in their very countenances. It was then a dreadful thing amongst us to lie out of Christ in danger every day of dropping into hell. I mean, again, you wow. use the word hell in a modern church context. People sort of wince and go, oh, you, you know, you're one of those radical fundamentalists. <laughs> yeah. But actually, and I know, and I, honestly, I, I've, I've come under a lot of criticism over the years for, for preaching, you know, strongly. But that's what brings revival, you know, that that's people have got to have like that yeah. engagedness in their hearts and a great concern yeah. about a lost eternity and falling into the hands of an angry God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and this is this is kind of like um, th this is the interesting thing, isn't it, about Edwards, because Edwards experienced this like profound revival kind of well, 1734, 35 Northampton in the States. Yeah. Um, and the minister that preceded him was a really faithful minister. It was a powerful preacher that handed on yeah, to Edwards. Right. He wasn't yeah. an apostate. This guy before him was like a real minister of the word of God, mighty preacher of God, preached the gospel. And Edwards himself had been laboring in this community for some time before the revival broke out and continued to labor in that same ministry after the revival fizzled out, which it did in 1735. Um, it didn't last very long. But their ministry wasn't a drastic change in the ministry that this church was receiving. They were consistently receiving biblical ministry. They were consistently receiving truth. They were receiving God's word for many years. But the revival happened in this short period where suddenly Edward says there's this concern in the people. And I think this kind of like points to the second characteristic really that that we see which is this greatly intensified work of the holy spirit bringing about faith and yeah. repentance there's just a, a gen like the, like we said you know the kind of the the condition of the human heart is prepared almost by the holy spirit and then all the minister needs to do is light the match and boom you know it catches fire like i think that's really key because i, I don't know how you feel about this but I've come across people that will say to me, well, you know, revival's just normal Christianity. Yeah. Revival's supposed to be the norm, right? It's actually abnormal that we're not living in revival all the time. And the only reason there isn't revival is basically they're saying they're not people like me leading a church, right? <laughs> if I was yeah. leading the church, we'd exactly, be having yeah. a revival every day. And I think you'd have to say, looking at history, that that doesn't seem to be the case, that, that no. normal Christianity isn't out-and-out out revival. Yes, there are powerful moves of God. Yes, there are signs and wonders and miracles. Yes, there are people coming to Christ, but that doesn't always mean it's a revival. There are specific seasons when it seems that God moves powerfully through ordinary means like prayer and yeah. preaching and teaching and and communion and, and all these things he just seems to work especially in those moments like you put it and i think 
it was Lloyd Jones who said he 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 moves unusually, or Ian Murray yeah. sort of said, you know, a um, and a larger giving. I don't know if I'd put it like that, larger giving of the spirit, but it's a peculiar way, isn't it? Uh, where the Holy Spirit moves and prepares hearts ready to receive that message. It's not something you can force uh, or make happen. Oh, not at all. I mean, there's this quote from a, a, a pastor called Edward Payson, and he ministered in Portland in America, um, in America in the early 19th century. It's quite a long quote, but what he says is so, mm. I think, nails it. He's so he... He described the way in which the Holy Spirit worked through his preaching and revival. And he says, quote, large congregations often sit and hear a message from God, while perhaps not a single individual among them feels that the message is addressed to himself mm. or that he has any personal concern in it. I think that's something we're so used to in our particular age. We'd call that the very apathetic, lukewarm kind of congregation. Well, this is a man yeah. in the early 19th century in America saying exactly the same thing. But he goes on to say, but it is not so when God speaks with his still small voice, Everyone to whom God thus speaks feels that he is spoken to and that he is called, as it were, by name. Hence, while multitudes are around him, he sits, as it were, alone. At him alone the preacher seems to aim. On him alone his eye seems to be fixed. On him alone every word seems to come, absorbed in the truths thus presented, mm. in reflecting on his own conduct, guilt and danger, and on the character and commands of God. He is almost unconscious of the presence of his fellow worshippers. Wow, that's yeah. profound. His attention is chained by the subject, by bonds which he cannot break. I mean, there's your attention span, mm. you know. Mm. <laughs> He's able to hang in there. And sentence after sentence truth after truth falls upon his ear and is impressed upon his conscience with a weight and energy and an efficacy which which omnipotence alone can give and that is the key key sentence right at the very end of that yeah. quote an efficacy and efficacy which omnipotence alone can give and, and that is the heart of it isn't it that that's it pe uh, people talk nowadays a lot i hear this all the time oh you know we don't want the preaching to be too long oh, i have i have attention deficit disorder or yeah. you know i can't sit through longer than and and you're thinking that is a symptom of the fact that there isn't that hunger for God in the church. And, and I, I, you can see this. If, if revival's there, the preacher is preaching for any amount of time. Who cares how long they preach for? Yeah. The heart, you know, the heart just wants to eat. That's know, it, it wants yeah. to be fed. There's, just a, there's a shift, not just in the, in the minister or the person that's kind of praying. Uh, you know, it, it's a shift in you know, large numbers of people's hearts without them maybe even being aware of it. You know, suddenly the message is for them. <laughs> suddenly they're, 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 the one thing they want to do is be sat in the place of worship. You know, um, it's remarkable. Yeah, it's incredible. And as you say, it's, it's the uh, it's the intensified work of the Holy Spirit that's bringing about this repentance and faith. And and I think that this, this is one of the things where in revivals, um, time will tell whether uh, professions of faith are genuine or not. Mm. And, you know, a, a revival could happen, but we'll, time will tell. Um, I, I find this very interesting. Uh, apparently, Jonathan Edwards also in his book, The Religious Affections, 
which I haven't read, by the way, but I'm taking a quote from someone else who's read it. And he's talking about the signs of, of revival and those which are not. So he talks about Mm. expressions of, of emotion and, and things groaning tears joy excitement we you know we mentioned tears already is a good thing but but Jonathan Opus is actually saying that that all these outward signs of a powerful uh, are, are, they're not necessarily that that person has, has met with God they may or may not have and those things may not lead may or may not lead to a deeper change yeah that the true signs are actually delighting in the excellency of God his holy character and his truth and that comes from being uh meeting with God and having, uh, as it were, holy affections that are not, not heat without light. Yeah. There, there's, there's, and I was thinking about this particularly when I was remembering a friend of mine, a good friend of mine when I was a lot younger, my teenage years, and he was a bit of a rebel and, you know, we were kind of stupid teenage boys, uh, you know, the youth group always mucking about and, you know, that sort of thing. And Now, he went to Soul Survivor one year had a really powerful encounter with God in the main arena. Yeah. It was laid out on the floor at the front, you know, met with God, had a really powerful encounter and, and, and it clearly changed him for quite, quite a few months, I'd say. Yeah. So it wasn't a long-term thing. He got confirmed in the church, but within about six months, he'd fallen completely away. And, and, yeah, and so to sad. this day, he's absolutely miles away from God. And, and even as I knew him, he was just so far away. He was never converted. He was yeah. never truly, he'd met with God. He clearly had had, uh, you know, Mike Pilavachi leading, I think it said, you know, God is going to break your heart. And this, this guy was just completely <laughs> overcome with the presence of God. But that meeting with the presence of God didn't actually bring about true change and that yeah. that's something that we have to be aware of as well that someone can encounter as we've quoted before from from hebrews chapter six that kind of apostasy where you can yeah. taste something of god and yet actually not be fully changed yeah and actually end up being kind of inoculated against it almost yeah. and uh in, in any revival you know in history um we do see falling away uh, of course you know we see people that have a it kind of like the soils, you know, there's immediate kind of yeah. leaves that shoot up above the surface. There's a kind of profession of faith. There's maybe some emotion. They get prayed for, they fall over. We think, well, God is moving, but this just turns out to be a, a, a kind of a, you know, a momentary profession. Uh, they're swept yeah. along, but actually the seed never properly takes root, which is, is awfully sad. But you'll find that not just in, in false revivals but in true revivals you know you, you found that in jonathan edwards's revival over there in northampton he said that you know a number within a year or so had, had drifted away um, but there yeah. were still great numbers who had stayed the course i think that's the key isn't it it's like in a re real revival yeah you'll have people that don't stay the course but but you will have also a, a good solid number who do uh, stay the course and, and do continue on in the church yeah, and I think there is that that one of the the true signs is that there's a, a real change in a person. There's yeah. regeneration. There's a, there's a a new heart. They're becoming more like Christ, and I think that's something as well, which is really important for us as pastors. And I often think this about myself because we, you know, we we also need to examine ourselves to check that we're in the faith. And and I always think to myself, you know, am I changing? Am I really changing? Yeah. I, and and how how do I need to change? There needs to be this constant. I'm I I am being convicted of sin. I am changing. I am becoming more like Christ. I, and I think that that's. 
you know, we talk about this quite a lot as well. We talk about the justification and sanctification on this podcast, but I think that is a big thing that there's actually a people get saved and get transformed. And there's something very profound that's happened in that person's life. I think sometimes when you, it's really moving when you meet someone who used to be like a criminal or did some terrible thing and they are a new person, a new yeah. creation. Well, that's it. It was a story from the Welsh Revival um, about how basically the revival so impacted the the miners in the communities down there in South Wales. Oh, yeah that they actually stopped cursing. They stopped swearing down the mine shafts. And, um, you know, it actually went negatively for the mine's production because wow. the donkeys used their curse words as cues. That's right, yeah. To carry coal. Yeah. Like, and so the cursing had stopped and these guys were so happy and so full of joy that the production went down, <laughs> you know, because these guys' lives were changed, you know. Um, radically and i think yeah you know in a real revival of god um you are seeing you know not just individuals not just families but but communities really changed and transformed um not just momentary professions of faith not just sort of people really encountering or experiencing god but but real life change you know real yeah kind of the holy spirit just marking whole families and communities and changing them right so uh i think that would be another key characteristic of revival um and this this is why i think people have, have struggled with some of the kind of more recent moves of god um that are called revivals by many yeah. um because maybe there has been a, a lack of that um and i don't want to be too kind of like too harsh <laughs> uh, in judging these but but i think some people do struggle when they see uh, so-called revivals that haven't really resulted yeah. in, in lots of lives changed um so yeah i you know you could look at you could look recently i, I had a friend who was part of uh, todd bentley's team uh, yeah, in 2008 the over in the lakeland revival as it's called and um you know, I remember. I remember coming back from university at the time, and I think it was after I finished uni. Actually, I was working, but coming home to Wolverhampton and sort of walking in and seeing, you know, my dad was watching it on the TV, and I wasn't really kind of. I was going to church, but that was about it at the time. So I just kind of walked yeah. in. And I thought, what's this nonsense? You know, I probably would have said that about anything vaguely Christian yeah. that I saw on the TV, but I was just like, what's this nonsense? You know. My dad explained, so, you know, there's lots of healings happening, people getting out of wheelchairs and um, what have you. And so I just kind of went, right, okay, you know, um, when can we go to the pub, you know? So, yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I didn't really pay much mind at the time. But later on, I met a guy who had been actually on the worship team at Lakeland and had really, you know, felt that it was a move of God, really had believed that this was something powerful that god was doing and i, I don't want to deny that people got healed there yeah. I, I think people did get healed i think certainly god can move even in places where there's a lot of dodgy stuff going on as well so people were getting healed but what happened was that he obviously discovered some of the dodgy stuff that was happening behind the scenes and that the preacher himself while preaching about the power of god was living in sin uh, yeah. was cheating on his wife, was getting drunk, was being abusive. 
And so, you know, that for him just kind of shipwrecked him, really. And this guy's just not walking with the Lord any longer. That's really tragic, um, really sad. And so, you know, that gets called a revival. Now, I, I wouldn't call it a revival. I just wouldn't call it no. a revival. And and unfortunately, you had kind of big figures in the charismatic world like Bill Johnson and, and others actually endorsing Todd Bentley and endorsing this revival. And so I think that damaged a lot of people's faith uh, in, in a sense because this revival was not a revival. It was counterfeit. It was, you know, um, sure, God may have healed a few people, but are, are their lives changed? Um are there people, you know, who, who are now walking with the Lord who weren't before? I don't know. I certainly know my friend's life has changed, but not for the better. So. I certainly think, yeah, I mean, I can't speak for anybody else who might have been kind of influenced by it. But my feeling is when you look back, and I, I do remember, I think it was 2008, yeah. I can remember when it happened. And I can remember the leadership in my church going off, actually going over to America to see what was going on. You know? right. and, but looking back, I just see it as a kind of a rather strange, confusing sort of muddle that happened. Mm. And then and then it kind of, it was almost like a firework. It went up and then yeah. it kind of went bang. It sort of almost went out and and with a bang and, and a fizzle and, and no one's ever really talked about it since. It's almost like the charismatic uh, Christians, if they can remember it, probably almost quite embarrassed about it. I think they well. are. Yeah, I think they are quite embarrassed about it. It's obviously since then, it's been found out that Todd Bentley was swinging and all sorts of horrendous things. And yeah. so, you know, I think there is an embarrassment in the charismatic church about that. Um, but yeah, you know, I, I think there's a lot of debate about these more recent revivals, but but uh, one thing that we would say is that I think revival, a genuine revival, has to has to look like yeah. people getting saved, people actually getting saved, getting born again, and then being added to the yeah. to the church. You know, like there's such a thing that people talk about renewal, don't they? Like renewal. And yeah, that's right. Yeah. So renewal would be more something that happens within a church, right? So it would be a, like a just a real special season of God restoring certain things, um, just moving in a very powerful sense within the church, re reigniting a fresh desire for the things of God. Um, you know, that, that could be called renewal. And I think, yeah, renewal happens in revival, but a revival's not a renewal and a renewal's not revival if that makes sense you know there's they overlap yeah. but they're not the same and i think um i mean i know it's, it's very controversial but many people call the you know the, the toronto blessing a revival i i just wouldn't call it a revival you know i, I wouldn't i wouldn't call no. it a revival i think you know you you if you want to be you want to be kind and you want to be on their side and say that it was a genuine move of god you'd be better off calling it a renewal um, yeah, I think you renewal is yeah. where Christians, are, you know, there's a renewal of their faith in the power of the Spirit to bring in a healing. Um, you know, there's a there's a powerful encounter with the Holy Spirit. Uh, you could classify that as a renewal. I don't think you could classify that as revival, um, for the reason that we have here. You, you're not seeing great numbers of people being born again, um, which I think no. you would in a revival. 
particularly like in the in the Welsh revival that there's famously um, the, the crime rate rate just went right yeah, down. Yeah, yeah. It's almost nothing. You know, it's like you know the police. Can you imagine the police just sitting around, just kind of you know playing cards? You know, just bored. You know, and nothing to do. I mean, there, I mean, this uh, the Great Awakening, for example, that happened in the 18th century. And it's reckoned that 50,000 people were added to the churches of New England, and about 300,000 across all the 13 colonies. Um, what we now call the Forgotten Revival between the years 1790 to 1840, one and a half million people were gathered into chapels in England and, and Wales alone. Wow. Uh, so one out of every 10 people in the country being converted and brought into non-conformist chapels. Also goes on to say that in the revival in 1859, around 100,000 were added to the churches in Ulster and 50,000 to the churches in Wales. In the 1859 revival in America, over 2 million were added to the churches. And, you know, you can just see how there, there are, I know people say it's not all about numbers, but it kind of is and on that scale, that got, when God does move like that, stuff happens, lots of people get saved. Yeah, 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 massively, yeah. I think that kind of like flows really into the next thing we would talk about really, which was, you know, in a genuine revival, there will be a powerful preaching of the gospel. And, and I Absolutely think, right. you know, that would be biblically, you know, that would be biblically sound to say that. I think, you know, when you look at, you know, the most obvious revival, whether you'd want to classify it as a revival or or just Pentecost, uh, you know, yeah. Acts 2, right? You've got the, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. So you've got people encountering God in a radical, transformative way um, that's visible to people who are outside of the church. You know, that's like revival. Um, and then you've got Peter standing up, delivering, a, you know, a five-minute sermon that just wrecked people's lives in a yeah. good way you oh, completely five thousand people being added to the church in one day um after a five minute sermon you know um i don't think we're advocating here for shorter sermons but we're saying that clearly is the power of god but it was it was gospel preaching it was the exposition of the person of christ it was talking about who he was and sin and the need for reconciliation the need for repentance how do you get saved you talk about these things you know and so i think that's a really obvious example there of revival part of it being gospel preaching uh, you, you know we could go to the old testament and we can look at the reforms of jehoshaphat as well yeah. you know uh, whether you'd say that was a revival or not but the reforms of jehoshaphat it included the teaching of the word of God in all of the towns and yeah. villages of Judea, that the word of God became the thing that they taught so much that the enemies around Jehoshaphat at the time just would not attack him. They wouldn't attack him. He, he lived in a season of peace for a, for a long time because he was teaching the word of God and reforming uh, Judah with that word. And so you've got, again, the preaching of the word. You've got that with Josiah, the, the hearing of the word of God repentance of faith came because of the word being read aloud and so i'd say any revival must have preaching must have powerful exposition of the truths of the gospel else how can people be saved right yeah i think that's the key thing it's like 
um, as we've already mentioned on the podcast about the lack of gospel preaching. And so that's been a problem. It's uh, the message has often been soft in a lot of churches. But I was just reflecting this evening as well about how, yes, on the one hand, there's been some really, really soft preaching, lack of conviction, lack of preaching the gospel. But there's also been I'd say in the more conservative, some some of the more conservative churches, there's been faithful preaching, but it's been rather sort of intellectual yeah. type preaching. They're kind of hyper intellectualization. They're kind of cerebral form of proclamation of truth yes. that, that is really kind of very much up in you know the academic sort of sphere. The average person is literally sat in the congregation thinking. Yeah, they're just, you know, they're not tracking with them at all. They don't know what really what they're talking about. And so I think there's, there's a, on the one hand, there's people not preaching the gospel. On the other hand, there are people teaching the Bible at such a high academic level that no one really knows what they're talking about. Yeah. One way or another, one way or another, how, however, whatever way it falls, if, if, if it's not clear, if it's not direct, if it's not, you know, easy to understand. You're not preaching the gospel, and what because the Bible's easy to understand most of the time. You know, there's part of it. I admit that are that are rather difficult, but mm. the, read the gospels. It's direct. You, you read, read you read the epistles. It's when the Holy Spirit opens your mind and heart. He speaks to you. And yeah, there are things we need to look up and explore and look at commentaries and books and okay, what do, you know, there are things I need to, to get understanding on. But the main truth. Yeah. that you're a sinner and you need a saviour is that the, the gospel is a child could understand it absolutely absolutely there's a story actually in the, the welsh revival of uh worship services beginning after the mines shut in the evening so that the miners would come in from their shift and then they would worship together and i believe it's evan roberts got up to preach at midnight and he preached for wow. two hours and the crowds stayed to listen and wept for hours repenting yeah. and praying and so you've always got this kind of preaching there but it's not just a dry doctrinal exposition of truth it, it's a it's preaching from a man whose heart yeah. has been captured for christ isn't it that's what it is it's like yeah. this person's heart is like unless I preach this message, this, these people may well be going to hell. Like if you read yeah. Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, you ever read that? You know, yeah. the sermon that, that Edwards delivered that supposedly kind of kicked off revival. Um, you read that and, and, and just reading it, like just reading it, you don't have to read it out loud. We haven't got yeah, access yeah. to his sermon on sermon audio or anything. You can hear this man is a man who has been captured by God. He is... Yeah absolutely wrecked with this concern for souls he is concerned that these people could any moment drop into hell yeah they could drop into hell this could be it for them and if they don't hear the gospel now then their blood be on my hands there's this severity these are blood and thunder preachers blood and thunder yeah. men, and they're, they're they are lovers of christ they're they're sold out lovers of christ you read about zinzendorf as well who led the moravian prayer movement you know who said you know i'm not my own i belong to another they have been bought by his blood who just lived this sold out life of prayer and proclaiming the truth but but in a revival god uses people that are completely sold out completely yeah. sold out for the gospel um, and so that's that's the concern. It's not just about teaching dry truth and that just the truth is going to do the work. Uh, no, it's it's truth 
in the power of the spirit right it's it's truth yeah it, it's truth with fire that's what it is like like lord jones said it's logic on fire that's what the preaching yeah. of the gospel is you know logic on fire it's not just dry you know linear argumentation but equally no. i think that's not the problem of our time gareth you know that's not the problem of our time i think that was maybe the problem of the evangelical church as it was but really that church is gone and now we're into this new era where really doctrine is a dirty word um yeah nice doctrine's a dirty word and and because of that the gospel isn't really being preached it, it, because it can't be if you, if you don't have doctrine you don't have a gospel if you don't have doctrine you don't have a gospel to proclaim and so when you jettison no. doctrine what are you left with but sentimentality and i think that's kind of our problem of these times and i think lloyd jones talks about that actually in his sermons on revival we've got to be able in this time as a church to diagnose the need um in in the church and diagnose the need in the world and what are we seeing in the world we're seeing people are throwing off truth just like they are in the church yeah i don't want external truth i don't want objective reality i just want what i believe and what i believe is the truth you've got people making themselves autonomous um and so we need to be preaching a gospel that addresses that issue and so yeah i think i, th I think so. yeah yeah carry on no no i'm done i was, I'm gonna, done. <laughs> I was gonna add to what you said because something because i remembered something that was with um with, with the likes of wesley and whitfield they were essentially kicked out of the church of england churches of their time that's and true. i think that's very interesting that even in all those in those years ago in the mid 18th century there they were outside the church and it seems to be that the revival i i would argue actually often comes from outside the established church so as well true. because yeah. there's such a as particularly as an anglican minister uh an angry anglican minister <laughs> yeah. you know because you know there's a sense of we don't want you to preach this truth here because you might upset someone yeah you might offend them you might upset the apple cart and this is the problem because yeah, many, many churches in the Anglican Church now are just too afraid to let people preach the gospel because, or oh, if they do, it might offend someone. And, and so it, the crazy thing is, you, 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 like you say, you jettison doctrine, you jettison uh, the gospel. Well, then you're not going to have the Holy Spirit then, which means you're not going to have revival, which means you're not going to have people come to faith, which means you're going to moan about the fact that your churches are dying out and no one comes to church and, all, and there's no money and there's no people and the building's falling down. You think, well, what do you expect? Yeah, exactly. Like, what do you honestly expect? Seriously, if you want to get rid of the very thing that it actually is, which is the power of God unto salvation, well then you know just just start up a knitting club or something but <laughs> yeah. you know quite frankly it's ridiculous because i i can honestly say you know I, I see churches without getting myself into trouble but i can see churches where they're not really churches they're just community social groups. clubs yeah community groups that that you know of about 20 people that do religion sort of fancy dress and religion on a sunday but there's no inner transformation and i don't mind robing up i don't mind doing liturgy i don't mind doing these things at all yeah but what i care about is 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 the is the person's heart being pierced by the gospel are they meeting with god because that's what it's about if you're not coming to church and you're and you're actually coming into the presence of god through the preaching of his word through the prayers through the presence of the holy spirit there and through the the taking of the sacrament if you're not meeting with god in in word and sacrament then 
what are you doing? It's it's pointless. And this is the this is what I see as the big problem. Certainly as an Anglican minister, and I could say this, we desperately need revival and reformation in the Church of England. Yeah. And maybe, ne- maybe next time I'll start bringing out some J.I. Packer quotes. Yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. Here's some real fiery quotes, but, you know, but he's a real, he was a real gentleman and a real gentle way of putting things. But th- there are some real strong uh, Anglicans over the years who've been calling this out and saying, look, we've got to stand for truth. Mm. Otherwise, God, we are not going to see God mm. move. We're, and we're just going to find ourselves constantly overseeing decline and then and and when we say right we need to arrest this decline and the answer is yes we need to we need to go back to the ancient paths oh no we don't want to go back to the ancient paths we want to try some new <laughs> idea that that someone you know from you know from a, some business school Church has tried to tell yeah. yeah, some church growth group. Well, you know, if you, if you get kids to do um, activities and then call it church, that'll somehow make the church <laughs> yeah. grow. That's, these things, these initiatives, however well-meaning they might be, it never works, does it? No, of course it doesn't go. How do you get people saved without disturbing them? No, exactly. Truth is disturbing. Truth, the yeah. truth of the gospel is offensive, right? Uh, yeah. It's not offensive to sheep, but it is offensive to goats. And I it, think it really there, is. therein yeah. lies the issue is that there's a failure to preach the truth because we're actually afraid to upset goats. That's what the problem is. And so that's definitely a big issue that we're facing is how are we going to have revival without truth? Uh, It was just not going to happen. Um, All that you're going to end up with is some sort of strange fire. You know, you're going to end up some some sort of like man-made revival with lots of emotion. And again, we've got to, distinguish here i think ian murray's right to distinguish between revival and revivalism revivalism yeah. is this this whole thing of well i'm just going to have a revival you know i'm just a walking revival um we're just going to make revival uh, this idea that we can somehow create it and just do revival um that's actually not biblical revival no, um not at all and so yeah that's all you're going to end up with this is this kind of like this uh, pragmatic in creation of man, which is not a true revival. It's just emotionalism. And, yeah. uh, you know, it, it is funny, isn't it? Because as well, Gareth, if you look at the statistics of, of church, the makeup of church, now I, I don't mean this in any offensive way, but if you look at the breakdown of gender of who attends these types of churches, it's overwhelmingly women oh, who yeah, attend these churches that will jettison hard truths, but really go in for kind of emotional worship and, uh, you know, long times of ministry that they think is, is I love ministry time, don't get me wrong, but yeah. just having ministry time doesn't mean you're in revival. It's felt needs, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, so ministering to felt needs, lots of sensitive worship songs, short sermons that really just kind of like are built to encourage, but not really touching on doctrine. They're, they are overwhelmingly filled with women. Now, that's not an attack on women. Um, please hear me right. But where are the men? Yeah. Where are the men? And like, I don't know if you heard Jordan Peterson speaking recently. Now, I take what he oh, says. I take what he says yeah. to the church with a pinch of salt because for my money, the guy's not saved, but he is extremely bright and he is somebody very that perceptive. I think very perceptive and he's understood this one and he speaks to the Protestant church about this issue. Where are the men? Right? And yeah, the reason is... Nice. We, he's right. He we've is expected, right. He sees it like this. We've expected too little of them. We've actually expected yeah. too little of them and we've treated them like women. 
right? Whereas the gospel calls men to repentance. It calls them to a high standard, a higher standard than they're actually yeah. capable of reaching without the power of the Holy Spirit. It calls them to be the head of the household, right? To actually be a man yeah. and actually lead in your household, right? And so it calls men to this high standard and the church just simply hasn't been doing that. And so you've got this, men are finding their meaning elsewhere. They're going to their places of worship on a Sunday, which is now like, you know, Villa Park or Molyneux or the Stadium yeah. of Light, because there we're together with men, we're masculine, we're, you know, we're, that's their place of worship. Yeah, um, and the interesting thing is, and I, I mean, I can, I'll argue this all day, happily argue this all day. If you get the men say to get the men you get the families that's no, true that's just facts absolute facts it's true otherwise it's just women and kids and and and, and lots of women and kids no men i've seen this all over the I've place seen it. I've all seen all over it. the place i've seen it but too. if you get the men you get the men you get they get the families yeah okay there's going to be a few exceptions you might have a, a guy and his wife doesn't but so unusual and so rare that that you you don't end up with the whole family if you get the men to, into church and i genuinely i think that that whole thing is a result of churches trying to manipulate revival, trying to make revival, yeah. thinking that, you know, if we just get these emotional reactions out of people, then that's revival. Then we've done it. We've arrived, yeah. right? But you can't manipulate that. Like when you look at the Welsh revival, it was overwhelmingly brutes, you know, big men yeah. coming out the, the mines and weeping their way to Jesus, with, right? With, 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 with the sort of cold faces, with the streets, yeah. with the tears. Yeah. There's pictures of them, exactly. aren't Exactly. That wasn't anything to do with emotional music. That was the power of God. No. And that was, you know, that was them, that was them hearing truth, being exposed to the gospel, right? So I think it's really important that we, we honor that. We, we honor the truth of God's word in our ministry, but we do it with, with, power and we preach against this sort of emasculated version of what a man's supposed to be in this country and um, we yeah. confront that with the gospel um we don't try and generate emotionalism but we're not afraid of emotion i think you know those are those are things we can look at but i think that the bold preaching of truth is what really is going to you know, is, is what we have to have in revival. I'm not saying that if we do yeah. that, there's going to be a revival, but I would say that, that that is something that a revival has, is the real preaching of the gospel. Um, yeah. It's interesting, like, obviously I used to be in a different church, which again, sort of the majority would be women uh, that were there. Yeah. Um, not not all, but, but a, a, a great deal more women um, being reached by that ministry, but then started this new church. And on YouTube, I think 94% of those who watch are men. And wow. Yeah, 94% of those who tune into our YouTube channel and watch and subscribe are men. And, you know, it, again, it's, it's just a shift in terms of the focus of the ministry, which is on the truth of God's word and doctrine and not, yeah. not being afraid to hit these subjects and you do very often find that it is men that are drawn by these heavy doctrines of god's sovereignty you know yeah um, definitely but we deprive them of that and we neglect them to our ruin really um so i mean it's actually lloyd jones said this he said uh, 
the concealment and neglect of certain truths and certain aspects of Christian truth has always been the chief characteristic of every period of declension in the long history of the church. Now, if we're not seeing declension wow. now, I don't know what we're seeing. You know, we're, oh, we're seeing... Oh, 100%. I, like, I, I honestly, I've said this before, but I, a friend of mine who said, I don't recognise that, you know, the modern church as, as being, you know, biblical Christianity in many no. cases. And it is actually, and it's not saying that to be disparaging or offensive. It is genuinely that there's something where, you, deep down, you, it's not resonating. You feel this isn't this isn't the real thing. You, deep down, you go, no, this isn't this isn't it. Yeah. And I think more and more people are getting like that. They're becoming restless. They're going to church. They go, no, this isn't it. No. There's something missing. The presence of God is missing. The truth of God's word. Because I come to church to meet with God. So if, if the Bible's not being taught faithfully and I'm not meeting with God by his word and by his spirit, then I, I, I'm just, I've literally gone to churches and I've literally, I've just sat in a church building for a little while and then I've gone home. I've gone, I've sat in a church building. <laughs> that is the sum total of it. Yeah. On an uncomfortable seat. And I'm bored, you know, and I'm like, what am I doing here? Oh, exactly. Because... You're not preaching the gospel. The presence of God isn't here. I've come here to meet with God, not listen to some some thoughts that the, the preacher thought up on his way to the church, and you know a few mumbled sung hymns and someone mumbling from the front, and then you know, oh, it's time to go home now. Or we can have a cup of tea, and the cup of tea's weak, you know. <laughs> <laughs> The biscuits it's are like soft. It's a completely forgettable, <laughs> forgettable experience, isn't it? But that's it, Gareth. Isn't it? You know, it's like. I think that what you said earlier about when you look back, revivals in history have tended to come from movements outside of the established church. It's a warning from history. Uh, I believe so. It's a yeah, warning yeah, from I history so. that, you know, Whitfield got kicked out of the established church. Wesley was booted out of the established church. Evan Roberts was a nobody um, that started a prayer meeting in in, a, in, a, in an outside room of a, a church. And yeah. This is a, you know, there are no one. You know, he wasn't a bishop, he wasn't a minister, just a guy that was, like, passionate to, to see the Lord move. Um, the Hebridean revival, same again. Yeah. Two old ladies, obscure backwater. God moves powerfully. I think it's a warning from history to the established churches. And the, the sad thing is, I don't know that they'll heed it. I, no. I don't know that they'll heed it. And I think we are seeing... Um, sadly, we're seeing a lot of ministers just depart from the gospel. A lot of old, sort of well-established denominations just walking away from truth. And I'd love to see it change. I really would. And I, I think oh, the Anglican Church has been a mighty blessing to this nation and to the world. I would hate to see the current slide continue. I genuinely would. I uh, really hope it doesn't. But I think this is a warning for us when we look back at history to see this and be like, no, let's not let this happen in our day again. I mean, as, as someone... Someone like I say who's Anglican, but who's desperate to see reformation and revival in the mm -hmm. Anglican Church. You know, I'm desperate for it, and you know, I, you know, I'm writing a book where 
I, I want to bring this to, to a wider attention. I'm, I'm, I'm that passionate about this. I'm, you know, I'm not a writer, but I'm writing a book because yeah. I want people to see the 39 at- articles really oh, ma- matters. What, what the, the, the historically what the, the church is, uh, was built on the, and, the, and the theology of Thomas Cramner, the Reformed doctrines mm. and the Book of Common Prayer and these things, they, they matter. We, as soon as you drift away from, from the truth, as soon as you drift away from the creeds and you don't believe those to be true, yeah. you're, you're in real trouble. When you can stand up in church and you can say, um, and he will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead and his kingdom will have no end from the Nicene Creed. And you don't stop to think, well, hang on, wait a minute. What am I actually saying? Jesus is coming back in glory. So he's not coming back as savior now. He's coming back in glory as king and as judge. He will judge the living and the dead. He will put the wheats and the tares, the sheep and the goats, and and people will face eternal judgment if their names are not written in the book of life. And and there'll be an eternity, and you're either with the Lord in glory or you're in the lake of fire. That's it. That's the only only choice. That's it. And and I just think people can stand there every single Sunday in a traditional service, say those words, and you're condemning yourself with your own mouth if you don't believe it. Yeah. And this is what's so scary that people are standing there week in after week after week saying all these things. And you think, yeah, but if you don't believe these words, you are actually signing your own spiritual death warrant. That's what's so scary. It's true. And it, it's true. And I, I desire desperately to see change in the church. I really do. I really hope we do. And I think this is a prayer point, you know, really for all of us to begin to pray for these mainline denominations. Yeah. And to begin to pray for ministers, you know, if you're in one of them, to pray for your pastor, pray for your vicar, uh, pray for your rector, whoever they are, pray for them to stand for the truth. Because the way I see it, unless there's a reformation in a sense, there can't be a revival. There can't be a revival, you know, unless the kind of, as Lloyd-Jones put it, unless the the wells are re-dug, right? Yeah. And we get back to the roots of our spiritual heritage, there's not going to be a revival. When I say get to the roots of our spiritual heritage, I'm talking about what's been lost. I'm talking about yeah. the proclamation of these biblical truths that's not happening. Talking about the ones that are actually resisted and hated in, in the established church, like the sovereignty of God, like the doctrines yeah. of grace. You know, I think that this kind of semi-Pelagianism, Arminianism, um, pragmatism, all these ideologies have come in and really strangled the life out of these big denominations. And I think we need to have a reformation. I think the, the wells need to be redug. We need to get back to preaching oh, these things, to preaching the creeds, uh, to believing them. And, and I think only then are we going to really see um, a revival come. There has to be a humbling that happens, um, not just in the Anglican church, but in every mainline denomination in this country and in non, non-denominational churches. We, we need that just as much in, in uh, you know, in, in kind of charismatic churches and independent evangelical churches. We need to see repentance and a return um, to these wonderful truths. Yeah, and I think it's, it, like I say, it's a prayer point. I really, my, this is my own belief, but I believe that it's now or never in terms of of, of, of genuine revival and reformation happening. I genuinely yeah. believe if, if nothing happens now, there won't be a, oh, well, you know, 
wait a bit longer there is no a bit longer look at look at the state of decline they reckon the church finger will be extinct in 2030 if i if i'm not yeah. wrong i think it's something like 2030 or is it 2050 i, I can't remember but I, it's some really scary short amount of time mm. that like the, the way things are going extinct and that'll be the same in other churches unless they're Absolutely. growing i know some churches are yeah. but there is now is the time not oh let's just sort of wait for another 10 years and see if something happens it's it's us now or never as yeah. i really believe that is a wake up from god to say you need to be praying now you need to be preaching the gospel now you need to be hungry and and concerned about these things now it because is, yeah. there isn't going to be another opportunity and it starts with hunger doesn't it i think that's where we would leave yeah. it with you tonight you know these things start with a hunger um before they ever start with prayer or preaching it starts with a simple desire um and i, I would just say we need to catch that we need to catch a real desire, like a real hunger Amen. to see God move and let him use you how, however he'll use you. You know, um, we have to remember those two old ladies in the Hebridean revival who God used mightily, but he didn't use yeah. them in, as preachers. He used them as people who prayed in this incredible move of God. And so I think starting with hunger, isn't it? It's like, go away, yeah, seek God on revival seek god seek his face on a move of god once again in this nation it, it is such a dark time i think in many it ways is. and uh you know false prophets everywhere are spreading good news about how wonderful things are and oh isn't god blessing us isn't all wonderful well that's just what they did in, in ancient times in israel wasn't it it's what the false prophets always do yeah but we're in a dark time we need a revival we need a fresh move of god and so i'd say let's go away from here and and just ask god if we haven't already got it to fill us with a hunger uh go away and listen to some leonard ravenhill <laughs> yeah <laughs> that that yeah man <laughs> they'll put you something in your pipe to smoke um and <laughs> oh definitely we need more preachers like him oh lord we need more yeah. preachers like him wow and what? uh him and tozer oh come on david wilkerson any of the go any of those some wilkerson yeah yeah and yeah you know and don't leave the presence of god until you get that hunger uh, for god to no. move so i think that's that's what i would say to finish amen oh, yeah absolutely and uh as we as we come to a close i think there's there's a lot for us to th reflect on in the next one isn't there but we we just want to leave that on that on that note of we want to spend time listening to god praying and we we do pray that this podcast is something that that god uses to to get you thinking get you praying and to yeah. get us really chasing after god that's the heart behind this we we're not just here to moan about all the things that are wrong but there is there is a no. lot wrong and we want to we no, want we to call it out lot, in order that we can yeah. Don't make it, I'm not apologizing for that because there's a lot to moan about that's, yeah. that's justified. But but I think Gareth has said, he's nailed it really, is that, we, you know, if, if we could desire one thing from this podcast, it would be to get a group of people seeking God and praying yeah. for the Amen. Lord to move mightily again, you know, revival. So um, that's our heart. And we hope it has been of encouragement to you. There'll be more on this subject in the coming weeks, no doubt. Um, if you've been encouraged or if you've got questions listening into this, please do send us them. Uh, you can either do that through Facebook or um, you can find us also on Instagram. Drop us a message on there. Um, but yeah, we, we hope this has spoken to you and encouraged you. 
to think about revival and to think about how you might be used in the coming days. So God bless and we will leave it there. God bless. Bye-bye. Take care. God bless.